You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and thanks for joining me, Sharon Noonan, for this week's Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Tonight's show is a second helpings one because of the extra Tuesday in the month of September. So it's a great chance to hear for a second time some of the interviews aired in the past couple of months. So as the Dingle Food Festival is on this weekend, I'm going to rerun the interview with our restaurant reviewer, Rachel Healy, which looks at her visit to the Global Village in Dingle at last year's festival. I'm also going to replay the recent interview with Evan Mangan of The Marketing Crowd because it hit a nerve with many of you and it's another chance to hear how social media has a role to play in the world of food. And of course, we couldn't leave out Ron Forrestal and his great wine recommendations. We'll hear about the wines that he recommended from Argentina. I'll have a brand new diary for you at the end of the show with details about what's happening during the month of October because Helen McDade from Fulcher Ireland is going to be on the line and I'm sure the Dingle Food Festival will feature in the diary and we'll also play a bit more footage from the interview that I did with Mark Murphy from the Dingle Food Festival. A reminder as to how to get in touch with the best possible taste, you can send me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or tweet me at Queen of Org, short for organisation. So first, let's have a listen to the review by Rachel Healy whenever she visited the Global Village restaurant in Ireland's first official foodie town, Dingle in County Kerry. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Rachel, we're going to look at a, a lovely place in Dingle in County Kerry, which is very timely with the Dingle Food Festival coming up at the start of October. Yes, yes, coming up now the 3rd of October to the 5th of October and uh, brings to mind last year's uh, visit to the Dingle Food Festival where I was lucky enough to go to the Global Village restaurant um, and covered it then for Food and Wine magazine. Um, it was quite something, one of those sort of evenings out, um, well gastronomic evenings out that I won't be forgetting in a hurry that's for sure, nine courses um, and wine pairings and amazing amazing atmosphere and lovely staff and it was yeah, definitely an evening to remember. When you say nine courses then, did everybody have to be there at a certain time or could you book your table for half seven, some people booked for half eight, what way did it work? No, to be fair to them, that's a good point because that must be difficult for a kitchen to manage um, especially in a relatively small restaurant like that, but no you could set your own time now they did have sittings obviously but um, I think we made an arrangement for about half past eight whereas I know other people were there already when we got there and arrived indeed after us as well so how long does it take to get through nine courses with wine well with us quite a while and we're definitely fans of the Mediterranean kind of dining we like to relax and have a conversation and really really enjoy everything as it comes along there's no speedy Gonzales in our dining party with us it probably took oh jeepers the guts of four hours Okay. Happy four hours. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and let's go through then each of the courses that you had. Sure. Well, as I say, it, 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 on this particular instance, because it was part of the Dingle Food Festival, they had a nine course tasting menu, um, which was very much an opportunity for the business to showcase their cooking and to showcase their ingredients and the provenance of the ingredients. Um, so it was kind of laid out in a way, in a very, very carefully engineered way, so that each course progressed into the next and obviously was interesting dispersed with palate cleansers and all the rest of it. So we began actually um, with a little amuse-bouche of fresh crab meat and crab parfait, um, which was just delicate, gentle, light, just enough to wet our appetite without filling us up because it was a long, a long eight courses to go. 
and there was wine then with each course. There was. Um, we had a selection. There was there was sort of um, a comprehensive wine menu, but we very much just trusted our server because she was very knowledgeable. Um, so we went with all her recommendations for each course. Um, I mean, for example, our next course was a whole hog tureen plate. It was very much a gamey plate of pork and bacon discs with a parsley puree and actually a crispy panko rolled scallop as well, which was a nice kind of... Um, refreshing sort of extra to it uh, and we partnered that with the 2011 Argentinian Malbec uh, by Thinkala Linda which was lovely it was lively and spicy and uh, worked well with the gamey flavours of the dish portion sizes people would be quite curious whenever you say tasting menu people think it's you know, you know, it's bite-sized tasting mm-hmm. portion. It's not very substantial. Obviously, when there's nine courses, that all mounts up. If you were to put mm-hmm. all that food in one plate, you have Absolutely. a very substantial dinner. But at the same time, it's getting the balance. The quantity is very important because nine mm-hmm. courses, if you get too much, it's not a good thing either. Oh, without a doubt. And I mean... This is some of all its parts, this kind of dinner as well. So you have to be able to enjoy each one. You don't want to find by the time you get to the eighth or ninth that you're feeling uncomfortably full. And um, that that means the whole exercise has failed in some way. So, so yes, um, it is a balance. I think especially in Ireland where some people, um, sort of my husband included, many Irish men would kind of look at a plate and think, where's the rest of it? Um, but having said that, you're absolutely right. You have to leave enough room. Um, and I think the balance has struck very, very well with this. Um, the portion were substantial um, but yet delicate. It was more about the arrangement on the plate. It was about the addition of flavours. It was about the the working of the ingredients together Um, and we certainly were very sated without feeling sort of uncomfortable. Um, Well from that we went on to uh, tomato consomme which was actually very welcome because obviously the whole hog terrine was quite um, quite meaty you know so it was good to sort of like go for something a little bit a little bit cleaner on the palate after that Um, and it was just it was finely balanced. It It was delicately salted it was it was a nice tomato consomme something I haven't had in a long time it's quite an old-fashioned dish so you don't see it very regularly um, and that preceded the next course then of monkfish and duck roulette which was quite interesting the pairing of monkfish and duck together uh, it sounds kind of odd on paper all right but uh, on the plate it worked absolutely beautifully I mean the monkfish is quite a, a firm mild tasting fish as it is um, but then the flavoursome duck just worked so well with it um, and it was actually sitting on a little patty of sage and onion polenta uh, with a little bit of, uh, I think it was Granny Smith apple from the kind of tang from it. Um, and it was served with a mussel and lobster sauce. So you can kind of get from that the intricate workings of that dish. There, everything was very carefully thought out. Everything was very carefully matched. Um, some not very obvious in- pairings were taking place on the dish but they worked beautifully which I suppose is is because of the experience that goes into it I mean 16 years um, this restaurant is in business so obviously all 16 years of that experience is going into these dishes you know and what wine did they put with that then? Um, that was actually an Austrian Gruner um, Weltliner Smaragd. Now, forgive my pronunciation. Uh, it'll probably get worse as it goes on. Um, but it was crisp and it was dry and it worked really, really well because it didn't, we didn't want anything that overwhelmed those, those flavours. We wanted something that worked very well with it without uh, diminishing each individual flavour, you know. And did you really find that the wine, each wine went perfectly with each course? We did. I'm not normally a fan of wine pairings myself. Um, finding that I can't sort of keep up with um, 
I suppose with the pourings, as, as no sooner is a full glass of red poured than the dish is changed and you're expected to drink a, a, a glass of white. Um, and I find that a bit overwhelming. I don't want to constantly alternate red, white, red, white, and um, nor do I want to drink that much that quickly either. But obviously you're dealing with professionals here. So it was barely sort of a small drop in the glass, enough just to be able to enjoy with your dinner um, or with a particular dish in hand without feeling sort of like there was far too much wine going on. You know, each worked absolutely beautifully with it. Yes. And the portion size was spot on of each of the glasses you know the pouring size absolutely yes Um, again it's necessary nobody wants to see their full glass taken away or nor do you want to have made your way through three glasses by the time you're only on your third course you know Uh, that would make for a very short night I'd imagine so um, no the portion sizes and also I suppose the time frame what I really liked is that nobody rushed us nobody was sort of scooping up dishes like I went to the party of six Um, so obviously different people finish at different times but the staff were obviously very, very well trained and waiting for all of us to finish before they took away dishes. So it meant we could really enjoy, linger and move at our own pace. So that was kind of like the fish course, was it? Um, I know there was a bit of duck there. The duck roulette was on the plate, but it was kind of like the fish course. So what came next? Uh, very much meat. Well, pigeon meat. <laughs> it uh, was, well, actually, I beg your pardon, sorry. Initially, bef- between those two, which is probably, um, again, quite smart, they gave us uh, a sorbet in between. So it was dingle vodka and black pepper and cucumber, which was a very interesting mix. Um, but exactly what it says in the tin, it was refreshing. It really cleansed our palate and, and allowed us to sort of start a fresh and it was no harm because um, the pigeon breast was formidable that's for sure. It uh, it was served with a game crisp and a very seductively coloured dark red sherry jus so it was very much an earthy warm heavy dish you know so it was no harm to have started off with a little bit of sorbet I think. We, we stuck with the um, with the Austrian uh, white at that point and kept it really I suppose mainly up to the pigeon and then the pigeon we swapped over went back to one of the reds as well. Okay. So then that was the meat came after that, the pigeon meat came after mm-hmm. that. Okay. I said, which was which was lovely. It's a very tricky dish because it can dry out very quickly and sometimes can be a little bit airing on the on the sort of more I suppose difficult side of gamey I suppose it's not often very refined dish so it has to be cooked very carefully and has to be paired well um, and I mean the sherry jus was perfect because it really meant that um, it added moisture back into the dish and also added colour which is nice you know I'm a very visual person I want to see sort of a abundance of colour on a plate as well and that very much happened with the Global Village And what wine goes with pigeon then? It, we went back to one of the reds um, if I remember correctly it was the Argentinian Malbec we had liked it um, and our server agreed with us that it would work very well so we were happy to continue back with that again and how many courses are we at now you've had your amuse dish <laughs> there was soup there was pigeon there, there was, was the was monkfish the, yeah the fish dingle vodka and uh, the cucumber sorbet then there was the pigeon we're now on seven okay <laughs> so that was a tasting plate of apple and blackberries which was lovely a really really nice um, it sort of hark back I mean you're in Dingle um, in the Kerry Peninsula it's a beautiful rural area um, you know by the Atlantic Ocean it was lovely just to get some simple locally sourced fruit on a plate you know um, again an unadorned plain dish but it worked beautifully um, especially in advance of what was next which was the cheese so it's going to be quite heavy so it's nice to kind of start off with a little bit of acid cutting through that first and what cheese did you have then 
Everything. Uh, <laughs> there was little that wasn't on the plate. And actually, in terms of the presentation, um, I remember the cheese being especially beautiful. It was served on a black slate um, with little tasting glasses of ale, would you believe, uh, including a blueberry ale, which was very, very interesting. Um, then it just a, an absolute variety of, of cheese, mainly sourced locally, as you'd expect. I mean, the provenance of the ingredients um, is, is well talked about in, in Global Village. And um, it was Kerry blue cheese, for example, a soft ghost, ghost cheese. And um, they were served with homemade oat cakes, which was nice. Again, really traditional, kind of harking back to, to rural um, Irish ingredients and Irish dishes, you know, um, and served with a tangy chutney as well to lift it. Was there room for anything else after that? Not really, to be honest. Um, we kind of approached coffee and petit four were served, which were beautiful, actually. Very, very delicately um, put together and very pretty dishes, actually. Um, I mean, for example, there was a gooey peanut butter fudge and there was a marshmallow nougat and just very interesting, not sort of your, your normal little kind of dollops of chocolate that you get in those. Um, and that really was the absolute maximum we could have possibly fitted. <laughs> we had... I get very upset whenever I have no room for the pity for. Yes, yeah. Um, I, well, the men of the group kind of dug deep and found a little bit of extra room, but um, I could barely manage a taste, to be honest with you. I had a dress on, of course, as well, so that was limiting me. <laughs> well, as you said earlier on, that like your husband can look at the plate and say, where is the rest of it? And my argument to my husband always is, whenever we go out for these tasting menus, that he is considerable taller and bigger than I am. So you can't expect him to be full up on the same amount of food as I would be. Very so true. So I always feel I have to share mine with him, even though it's quite modest. So true. So true. It happens in our house too, that so he's called the Labrador. He takes up whatever I haven't finished on the plate. <laughs> So if anybody is heading down the Dingleway for the the food festival, I'd say it's highly unlikely that they will be able to get a table there, but they are part of the taste trail, so they're mm-hmm. they're worthwhile calling in there for that. Mm-hmm. Do you have a web address for them? We do. Uh, well, I mean, the Dingle Food Festival itself is www.dinglefood.com. Um, and as I say, it's available on, well, the, the festival is on from the 3rd of October to the 5th of October. You can buy tasting trail vouchers. As you say, that can certainly allow you to, to sample some of the food. But, I mean, who's to say they may not be full up yet for the tasting menu in the Dingle Food Festival, so it may well be worth the phone call anyway just to check okay well thanks so much for that Rachel and you will be back next month and you're going to be looking at two nice places in Limerick then mm-hmm, I will indeed yes we shall talk then thanks very much cheers chin chin salut Schleinte. great review by Rachel there and we'll hear more about this weekend's Dingle Food Festival later in the programme staying in County Kerry now for the next second helpings interview with Evan Mangan of the marketing crowd who helps to take some of the mystery out of social media Bon appétit Yummy Grubs up Delicious Mmm Evan what are the advantages of social media in the food industry? Well there's a number of advantages Sharon uh, if you take Let's say uh, a typical person in a farmer's market or a restaurateur, social media gives them a great opportunity to get their message out there far and wide in a very cost-effective way. So you can get uh, enormous reach way beyond what you would get, let's say, through traditional advertising. Uh, It's also a wonderful opportunity to engage with existing customers, uh, to get some feedback and to engender a lot of brand loyalty. Uh, It's also a great opportunity to... Uh, communicate with potential customers and actually get conversations going. Finally, I would say it's 
wonderful opportunity to bring your brand to life in a way that uh, other media won't allow you to do. Let's say if you were advertising in a newspaper, there's only so much uh, you can get across there in a print advert. But if you were to share posts on Facebook, uh, let's say a video of what's happening in your restaurant or some recipes to do with the, uh, the, the food that you're making, that, that brings your brand to life in a way that people appreciate and can engage with. In terms of investment then, the financial investment is quite small, but the time and effort investment is more. Yes, well, lots of people make the mistake of thinking that social media is free, but of course it isn't, uh, because you have to factor in your time, and it can be quite time-consuming, crafting those Facebook posts and those Twitter updates, so you do need to uh, think about your time. Lots of people still think that Facebook is a free social network for marketing, whereas really it has moved dramatically away from that in the past 12 months. Uh, If you have a Facebook page and let's say you have a thousand followers, really only less than 10% are going to see your updates for free, less than 100 people. And you will need to pay to get your messages out to uh, the remaining 90%. So more and more social media is, is costing you money. So you need to think about how you can measure that and think about a, an ROI, a return on investment. Now, whenever you say that on Facebook, less than 10% will see those posts, why is that? Are they controlling how many people can actually see what you're putting up there? They are, they are. So let's say, go back two and a half years ago, before Facebook went on the stock market, uh, if you had 1,000 followers, then maybe 800 would see it. And the 200 that didn't, well, maybe they just didn't go on Facebook that day. But then once they went on the stock market, they started to apply uh, what they call edge rank, and that is a system whereby they restrict the amount of followers that see your updates. They're doing it for two reasons. Firstly, they're saying, and this is true, they're saying that they want to protect people from being inundated with lots of irrelevant uh, and uninteresting updates into the newsfeed. So if I haven't liked an update from a page recently, I won't see those updates in future for free. But secondly, they are uh, a business and they are monetizing their business and they have over 20 million Facebook pages and they are trying to get uh, advertising money out of each of those pages. So now it's a pay-to-play platform. So they will say, uh, well, didn't you have a nice ride there, free ride, you got all this for free, but now just like it would cost if you wanted to uh, send something in the post or if you wanted to make a phone call to potential customers, now it's going to cost you if you do want to communicate to all of the people who have expressed an interest in your business. Is it also the case that if people have lots and lots of friends, if they've liked lots and lots of pages, including your particular page, that there is so much information there that they can't possibly see it all? It's, you know, timing comes into it as well, does it? Correct, yes. Um, Facebook tells us that at any one point in time, there could be over a thousand updates, uh, notifications coming into your newsfeed. So they don't want us to be bombarded. They need some method of prioritizing what it is we're interested in. There are things that uh, you can do to increase your engagement and increase your reach. Uh, That would be, let's say, for any food businesses out there, thinking about running some timeline contests, actually giving away some free things. Remember the way this edge rank works is that Let's say, Sharon, you have a page, and I have liked your page, so I'm following it. If I haven't liked any of your updates recently, I won't see 
your updates. So if you were to run a contest, giving away something free that encourages lots of people to like the post, and then people are more likely to share it, um, then those people under the edge rank system will then start seeing your updates for free. You do need uh, you do need to think now about how Facebook has changed and uh, you know the days of just um, sending out lots of updates and expecting all your followers to see it are gone. But you could look at it another way. Okay, so lots of people are a little bit uh, demoralized, thinking, "Oh my God, now Facebook uh, isn't free. I need to pay." But if you think about it, in the past you had to somehow get people to like your page in order for them to see your updates in their newsfeed. That was the way it worked. But now, under the advertising system, you can send out an update and you could target uh, all the people who live within five miles of Newcastle West and you could drill down into, let's say, women who live within five miles of Newcastle West within, between the ages of 25 and 45 who are interested in baking or cooking. So for around five euro, you can now get your post into their news feeds, irrespective of whether they've liked your post or not. So it's totally changed, and it's now an advertising platform and a really powerful one for small businesses. So I wouldn't focus on what you don't have anymore. I would focus on the advantages of the advertising platform. You can set a daily budget. You could decide to spend just four euro a day or 20 euro a day. You can run your campaign for just two or three days. If you decide that you only want to spend 20 euro getting your message out to as many people, targeted people as possible, you can do that. And of course, Facebook isn't the only show in town. There's also Twitter, there's Instagram, Snapchat, LinkedIn, Foursquare. The list probably goes on further than that. Is Facebook, do you feel it is the, the best one for food businesses to look at? Well, I think you need to think about where your audience is. And within Ireland, 60% of us are on Facebook. So, you know, that is most people are on Facebook. So if you're trying to get your message out to as many uh, consumers who might be interested in your food products as possible, Facebook is the natural one to think about. And then moving down from that, uh, Twitter, there's uh, 29 to 30% of us in Ireland on Twitter. So that's still a big chunk of people. Uh, that you want to get out to. Beneath that, then, we have Instagram at 14% and we have Pinterest at 7%. So if you're thinking about getting your message out, firstly, think about scale. Where are your potential customers? Uh, Think about which social networks lend themselves to visual updates. And that's really important for uh, food companies. You know, it's not about sending text updates. It's sending beautiful photos, food, interesting recipes. So Facebook lends itself to that. Increasingly, Twitter is lending itself to that now because you can send out images into the newsfeed. Uh, Instagram absolutely lends itself. You've got lots of food businesses on Instagram. Pinterest is a really interesting one. Pinterest is a way of creating creating boards to do with your products or services. And Pinterest and Instagram would be very visual very visual yes uh, you know at its heart Instagram is a mobile app where you take photos or videos and you share them and Pinterest at its heart is uh, a social network where you basically you curate you put in a board your favorite photos 
uh, and there's millions of people creating boards to do with recipes in particular. You're talking a lot about Pinterest there. Does that mean that you feel that Facebook has had its day? It is, it's over 10 years old now, so is it coming towards the end of its shelf life? I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't say that it is coming to the end of its shelf life. I think some people are finding that maybe what's coming into their news feed are updates from the same friends and maybe similar kind of things. But none of the stats suggest that people are uh, moving away from Facebook in huge numbers. Evan, thanks for chatting to me this evening. You've a great website there with lots of advice on it. It's the marketingcrowd.ie. And uh, we have some free guides on there as well for people. Brilliant. Listen, thanks so much for talking to me this evening and we will talk again soon. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're welcome back to Second Helpings of the Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break we heard previously aired interviews, one of which was with Rachel Keeley about a tasting menu she enjoyed at the Global Village restaurant in Dinkle almost a year ago and just before the break Evan Mangan was talking about social media. So it must be time for a glass of vino and I've dug out Ron Forrestal's Argentinian recommendations from August. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Ron, you're here. You're going to talk about a red and a white wine tonight. But before you do that, you just want to remind the listeners of a few things to bear in mind whenever they're ordering wine. Yes. Um, I want to just maybe give a little... Um, People obviously uh, have their favourites when they're when they're choosing a bottle of wine, be it in a shop or be it in a restaurant. And I just wanted to expand that slightly for people, maybe to try something that they wouldn't normally try. Uh, and the two wines we're going to to that we've selected as a, as a wine of the month later are two slightly different ones that you wouldn't normally pick if you're picking a red and a white, probably. But they're becoming very fashionable. So really, what I wanted to get to was that. There's, there's a few things that are kind of intimidating for people when they see either a full shelf of wine with 140 or 50 wines in it or a wine list in a restaurant, which can be much more intimidating because at least you can see the bottles in a shop, but in a restaurant, um, you have to pick from what you can read. And um, you may not feel comfortable asking the waiter or waitress um, to help. So. What I just basically wanted to give a little quick run through was on the wine itself. So to start off, what you probably drink at home now, you probably drink a Sauvignon Blanc or a Pinot Grigio or a Cabernet Sauvignon or Merlot. And they're all grape varieties. They're kind of grapes, which you, which you know already. Um, the, there's grapes that are quite similar to each other, like Sauvignon Blanc and Chenin Blanc from South Africa are quite similar to each other. Pinot Grigio is kind of unlike anything else. Um, it's Italian grape variety, although it's grown in lots of different countries now. Uh, Chardonnay, which is probably the poor relation of the whites at this stage that's not as drank as much as either the other two, um, is a much more foody wine. But basically what I'm, tr- what I'm trying to say is that if you get, there, there's a few things that should happen, particularly in a restaurant when you order a bottle of wine. First of all, you, you pick the section that, that you're most happy with, be it Chilean, Australian, French. And you may not recognize any of the products that are there. So the best thing is to go for the grape variety, which will be should be on the list, should be on all lists, regardless whether it's French or, or, or Italian. So uh, if you like Sauvignon Blanc, um, 
the that should be on the on the list for a French product. If not, there's a few products that are Sauvignon Blanc that you may not realise, like Sancerre, um Hopa too. They're all Sauvignon Blancs. If you like Chardonnay, Chablis is Chardonnay. Uh, really, I didn't know that. Yeah, hundred percent Chardonnay. As is Macon Looney, all those products from Burgundy that you'd recognise are all hundred percent Chardonnay. So then, uh, don't be afraid to ask questions, of course, and hopefully that the, the the person serving you will actually know the answer to the question. That's the the hope, anyway. So there's a few things that when you when the bottle actually arrives, you order a bottle of Sancerre, which probably costs on a wine list somewhere between thirty and thirty five euros a bottle. There's a few things that should happen at this stage when you order it. Um, it needs to be presented to you before it's opened, and that's to to um, guarantee that you've got what you asked for. Do not feel that that only happens in a certain type of restaurant, that it has to be a fairly high-end restaurant for them to do that? Well, it should happen everywhere, really. Um, it's, um, it's, it's not even a, a tradition at this stage. It's, it's really it's to cover both people's um, ends, really, both the restaurant to ensure that you actually, you, that is what you order, that you haven't made a mistake, and secondly, that you're happy with it. That's what you what you actually ordered. Now, they should do that, and most of them tend to do it. Now, a lot of them tend to do it as they're opening it um, in front of you. So it's important just to get it right. Um, so it is. So you look at the label. The label should have the year in it. You mightn't be too, uh, too um, particular about the year itself. But, but it is important to make sure that whatever year it says on the wine list is the year that's on the bottle. Because sometimes the the two don't tally. A lot of the time they don't now, because a lot of a wine lists wouldn't change for from one end of the year to the other. If you know what I mean, it could be in in place printed for two years, and the chances are that wine would have changed once, if not twice, in that time. So that's that's important. That that's not quite the end of the world now. It's more important that the actual name is correct on the product, um, and things even change on that end. That there might be an addition made to the name by the producer in the space of a few months. But anyway, so the second, so they have the year, you have the name, you have the country it's from, and you're happy with it. Then the idea is that the bottle of wine never leaves your sight from then on. That's the idea. So the the uh, the waiter is to open the bottle as close to you as possible that you can see it. Be with a corkscrew or a screw cap now, which is probably well over half the products at this stage are all in screw caps. And perfectly acceptable. Absolutely. No issue with it at all. Uh, particularly on whites and particularly on younger whites, that is in fresh drinking whites. And then it's to taste. Um, and this is to pour a mouthful, not, not a little tiny sip, an actual mouthful into a glass. And you're to try it. And this is a... This is to, for you to feel comfortable that the wine is, is in good shape, as in it's what it's supposed to be, as in it's not oxidised, it's not gone off, it's not caught. Now, it's not that you don't like it. There's a fine line there between that and you got what you ordered. So it's, it's not that you don't like the particular Sauvignon that you got. Uh, it's just that there's anything wrong with it. What if it's not cold enough? You should. It's a real bugbear of mine that that uh, restaurants don't tend to keep their wines cold enough. Uh, now, in their defence, what happens is that if they're particularly busy, their fridges lose temperature because they've been open so much. So they tend to drop down a few degrees or drop up a few degrees in this case. So uh, just ask for an ice bucket. Uh, and the coolers that the, that restaurants tend to use a lot because they're very um, they're very easy to use. They're they're thermal coolers. You've seen them, the bottle goes into them. Uh, they don't chill anything. 
they just maintain temperature. So if it's not cold going in, it's not going to get any colder. If anything, it's going to lose temperature. It's really relatively quickly. I have a friend who had an experience where she said it, she didn't feel it was cold enough. And the next thing, the manager came out and said, Madame, this is the temperature that this wine should be served at. Like, what do you do? If you like it chilled, you like it chilled. Absolutely. And, and if he was paying for it, he could have an opinion on what he thought it might be. But if you're paying 20, 30, 40 euros for a bottle of wine, if you want it lukewarm, then that should be their goal in life to get it to you in that, in that way. Like, I, I can't, uh, I, I deal with probably around 50 restaurants. I can't think of any one of them that would do that, that would, that would have that kind of confrontation with anybody. It was just unbelievable. So it would. I've also been in a very high-end restaurant in New York and it wasn't cold enough and the ice bucket was produced and she said oh you know whenever you get down further it'll mm. be chilled and my husband was I suppose because it was an expensive restaurant mm. an expensive bottle of wine was very much of the opinion this is not good enough but they didn't care Yes, yeah, it, it's not at all good enough because I can imagine what you were spending on a bottle of wine in a, in a New York restaurant would be pretty pricey. Um, but see, it, it's it's a mistake they make and, and it, it defeats the purpose for themselves, really. I, ha I have a restaurant that I've dealt with for years in, in Nina um, called the Peppermill, a fantastic restaurant, a really, really nice owners is the chef. Um, uh, Marie Gill has been cooking in Nina for 30 years at this stage, which is a fantastic lady and her husband runs front of house. And uh, your, your, the accepted uh, temperature for a wine fridge is about six or seven degrees. He has his about three, because his view on it is that the colder the wine is, the more of it you drink. Okay. If it's not cold enough, then people don't drink as much of it. Yes. So he says that if you get, if you get a group of, a couple sit down, a couple of four sit down, and the wine is really cold, they'll have a bottle of wine gone in 10 or 12 minutes when they're sitting at the bar before they sit down. He said, if it's not cold enough, they'll sit looking at it for a half an hour. So you've lost all that time where they could have had something else or a drink or something else. So it defeats the person themselves. So they should really set it as cold as they can. Now, there's other products that, like if you're spending a lot of money on a bottle of wine, like on a bottle of white or 50 or 60 euros, it's, you couldn't drink it that cold because what cold is, it dulls the flavor of the wine. It makes it very nice to drink, but it dulls the flavour of the wine. That's fine for a certain product. But then when you're really paying for something that you really want to taste, it's best not to have it that cold. Mm. It's, trying to get, it's trying to get just the right medium, isn't it? It is. It is. And like most people at home, pop it into a freezer for 10 minutes before they, before they serve it. And that's, that's quite acceptable as long as you remember that you put it in the freezer. Uh, is oh, the, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Is is the fur fine for a bottle of wine that you're spending ten eight or ten euros on or twelve euros on is fine. Well, all good advice. And you have some wines now tonight that you want to yes. highlight. Well, I wanted to now. Now we carry about a hundred and sixty or seventy wines, but I wanted to to highlight a particular uh, country that that's making ways at the moment in the Irish wine market, um, which is Argentina, which is has never caught up to Chile, although Argentina were here first. But Chile just really caught people's imagination and hit the perfect price point and quality mark for Irish. But Argentina is an amazing country. Um, I was lucky enough to go a few years ago um, to Mendoza. And it's, it's just, it, it's, it's, uh, it's a very, um, 
unusual country. Uh, they have a huge affiliation with Irish people, really like Ireland. But what I've picked today is is uh, two wines um, from uh, San Juan, which is not Mendoza. It's the other two winemaking regions in Argentina, Mendoza and San Juan. So two from San Juan. These are for, uh, from a winery called uh, Calia, uh, Malbec, which is the traditional... Argentinian grape variety. It's a French variety originally, but was taken to Argentina and grows there better than anywhere else in the world at this stage. Uh, it's a, a full-bodied red um, because they eat a lot of meat. Uh, every meal has meat, uh, at least one course of it, if not two courses of it, and beef particularly. So you need something that's big and strong and able to stand up to it. And Malbec has a kind of a rough feel to it, but an amazing fruit flavours. Uh, this, there's a lot of Malbecs out there, some very reasonable ones, um, uh, which I have as well. This one now sits slightly above that, costing around €11 Euros a bottle, but really worth it. It's called a Calia Alta Malbec, which is their second level of their Malbec. And the white uh, from Argentina as well, from the same winery, is a Pinot Grigio, which is a... Yeah, Grows, you know, as Italy's biggest selling white, but it's a grape that grows particularly well as well in, in uh, Argentina, and they've taken to it very well. And it's it's a, a in opposed to the Italian Pinot Grigio, which is kind of a neutral flavour, hasn't an awful lot of background taste to it. The Argentinian one has really has a lot of flavour to it, has a deeper colour, uh, the sun is is stronger, the alcohol level is slightly higher, um, but has a real kick to it. And as a beautiful product served ice cold. Just by itself with not necessarily anything to eat with it. Perfect for for appetizers, for canopies before you sit down, but served really, really cold. And the red then is perfect for the steak. Perfect for steak. Okay. Absolutely. So those are, just remind us of the two names there before you go. Calia Alta Malbec and Calia Alta Pinot Grigio. And they're both around 11 euros. 11 euros. And if anybody wants to order off you, they can get in touch with you, then go to your website, which is? Uh, ie. Ron, thanks very much. Looking forward to trying them. No problem. Thank you. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. That was Ron Forrestal talking about Argentinian wine and Ron will be back to his usual slot on the third Tuesday of the month which will be the 21st of October. Be sure to get in touch s.noonan at live.ie if you have any questions for him. Moving on now to an interview with Mark Murphy of the Dingle Food Festival. So let's find out what's happening in Dingle this weekend. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Third, fourth, and fifth of October. Uh, what you can expect this year at the Dingle Food Festival is, first of all, it's our eighth year, so we've, we're very excited. This year, we're celebrating Dingle as Foodie Town of Ireland. So we've a lot uh, more events. We our festival has grown and stuff like that. But uh, to give you a brief synopsis of the uh, festival. We have plenty going on throughout the weekend, such as um, the Taste Trail, uh, loads of farmers markets, we have food workshops, we have uh, culinary pentathlon, we have Bloss and Heron, we have um, a bake-off, a cycle, which a gourmet cycle, and then we have a farmers and fishers forum, uh, art installations, kids' activities, the list just goes on, Sharon. Tell us a bit more about the Taste Trail. I've done it myself and really enjoyed it, but some of the listeners might not be familiar with it. 
Okay, well, the Taste Trail is probably one of the key uh, events of the Food Festival. And what it is, basically, this year we have over 80 locations on the Taste Trail. So what you do is you buy a book of tickets. Your tickets, uh, you get 10 tickets for €22. And you get a map. And you just pretty much eat your way around right throughout the town and you pick out and choose whatever you want so you might go to one establishment and it might be just a sampling of local beer you might go on to the next one it might be just some fresh crab from uh, Dingle Bay the next one some smoked salmon mussels it's just the list goes on and this year we've got uh, over 80 locations but the joy about it is it's a really social aspect and everybody can get involved because you're just wandering around slowly, pretty much eating away around the town. The other aspect that people will be interested in will be the cookery demonstrations and you've some great names coming to, to cook up for you there. Yeah, that's correct. Like every year the cookery demonstrations are um, they're so they're in Terrigal Park of our um, of the festival. Like this year, we have people like um, JP McMahon coming from uh, a near restaurant, and JP is going to be looking at fermentation and just fermentation in the kitchen and how you can include it in your cooking. We've got Kate Lawler from a lot of your listeners might know Kate from Fens Key in Cork uh, City. Really, really good restaurant, and Kate is someone with a lot of passion in the kitchen. We've got um, people like, you know, Caroline Gray from Easy Foods. We have uh, Tracy Kine. Some of your listeners might be familiar with TV3's Grace Irish Bake Off. And then we have our own very own John Marie um, from Out of the Blue. Uh, people like the John O'Leary, who is an um, incredible chef, uh, works in Killarney, West End House, and is responsible for Wholesome Fair as well. We have uh, some uh, cookery demonstrations in Irish with someone like Louise Brosnan from Global Village. Niall from the canteen in Dingle as well. Um, what else? There's just, again, there's so many things, but all the details will be on our website, uh, www.dinglefood.com. Mark, all the best with it, and thanks so much for talking to me this evening. Great. Thanks, Sharon. We hope to see you and your listeners down here. Thank you. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're welcome back to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. If you're just tuning into the show, you can catch up with us later in the week when we upload the show to our podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash food and drink show. And there's a few hyphens in there between food and drink show. Just before the break, we heard a bit more about the Dingle Food Festival and I'm very much looking forward to visiting it myself later in the week. But now it's time to go over to the phone to speak to Helen McDade from Fulcher, Ireland about what other events are planned for the month of October. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Helen, welcome to the best possible taste tonight. And we were talking earlier on the show about the Dingle Food Festival taking place this weekend. Yes, yes, that's just one of them. It's actually, October's actually really busy. Um, in the first weekend, we have three different food events. So I think you've talked a bit about it, about the Dingle Food Festival. Um, but that's always a great one. I think they have about 80 outlets this year on the Taste Trail. 
Um, and if you're feeling enthusiastic, you can do a gourmet cycle around Slay Head first and then come back for lunch. But I think I'd stick to the taste trail myself. It would be well earned after yeah, that yeah, cycle. No, uh, yeah, I'd, sometimes I'll work that hard for lunch, sometimes I won't. Um, now, also that weekend, we have two others. There is a Taste of Inish Boffin, which sounds like a lovely one. It's out in Inish Boffin Island and celebrates all things local. And they're really focusing on... Um, the traditional food and arts and crafts from the island and they'll have lots of shoreline foraging and fish filleting and butchery and cookery demos and they said they'll be doing lots of um, ways to learn about new cooking styles and they even have that talking about lesser known ingredients so you may have to take your, your adventurous palate with you if you're going up to Inishbofin and then up in Monaghan the same weekend from Friday the 3rd to Sunday the 5th um, they have it as a, the A to Z. They have the avocado to the zucchini at the Taste of Monaghan. So, again, really busy, busy weekend. They have about 60 producers in a marquee. They have 14 or 15 cooking demos. Jenny Bristow's up there. Clodagh McKenna's up there. And actually, they have Dervil O'Rourke. Do you know the Irish spint hurdler? The world, she's a European uh, medalist. Yeah, and she has recently launched her own cookbook. Yeah, that's right. So she's going to be up there talking about that and she's kind of really coming at it from the, the, the aspect of um, both sport and healthy lifestyle. And like it was obviously, she says, I'm funny, I listened to her being interviewed recently and she was saying how it took her a couple of years to realise herself that what she was actually putting into her body was fueling her performance. And she's really interesting. She's such a lovely person anyway. So I think that would be really interesting. Um, now, they also have a school, cookery schools. The Monaghan schools are in a cookery competition. And they have the fastest omelette challenge. Now, I don't know whether that means it's the fastest cooking or the fastest running flipping an omelette. I'm not sure which okay. that is. But it could go either way with that one. So it could um, be a bit like the Saturday kitchen omelette challenge that they do. Could be. I'm thinking that that's what it is. I, I wasn't clear reading it, but uh, I'm sure it'll be very entertaining. I'm thinking it's something like that because I think they have a lot of the local personalities doing it. So I'm sure they'll, they'll uh, do something to put them through their paces. Um, and then there's loads of stuff going on for, for kids. There's puppet shows and they have a, a small farm and the face painting and cake decoration classes. And then all of the restaurants in Monaghan are all doing special um, meals and special dishes during the month of October. So I thought that sounded really nice. There'd be definitely plenty going on up there. So that's three of the corners of Ireland anyway, it wherever is, really. you are this weekend. All there's something weekend. on. <laughs> yeah. So, and if you miss those and you want to kind of go down south a bit, the Kinsale Gourmet Festival is on the following weekend. That's the weekend of the 10th and 12th of October. So this is always a great event. Um, and they have the celebrity chef cook-off, so I'm sure Martin Shanahan will be in there stirring it up. Um, they have a, an event with the Taste of West Cork, which is the five-course tasting menu. And then they do the Mad Hatter's uh, Tea Party, where everybody all gets dressed up. And they, they kind of do a restaurant trail around the 11 members of the uh, restaurant, Kinsale Restaurant Circle. And then on the Sunday, they have the Freedom Air Luncheon, which is really just the most fantastic seafood display, any type of seafood you could possibly think of. They have that on a fabulous luncheon there. So that's always a great weekend. I'd advise now for any of these two, the first couple of weekends, definitely if you're planning on going, book your accommodation because they're, they're all really popular. Now then after that, we skip the middle weekend of the 15th. And then on the last weekend, again, we have uh, three or four festivals. We have Saver Kilkenny, 
That's on from the 23rd to the 27th. Virginia Pumpkin Fest, it's that time of year the pumpkins are out, 24th to 27th. And the Burren Winterage Festival and the Burren Food Fair, again, are from the 24th to the 26th. So that's the bank holiday weekend? Yeah, yeah, that'll be the Halloween bank holiday weekend. So that'll be a lovely weekend, actually, to do it. And I love the weather at that time of year. Hopefully when it's dry now, it'll be fabulous. Um, so now the Saver Kilkenny, you'd actually really need to go onto their website and have a wee look at their programme because there's just so much going on. I mean, it's they have a black and white masquerade dinner at Mount Juliet on the uh, Thursday evening, which I think sounds very grand. Um, on the Friday, they have it's really lovely because they have lots of events at, at all different places all over the city. So it's nice. Like so, they're not big like kind of one big marquee event. So you might have a, a, tea, a seafood tasting menu in one in one restaurant. There's a tutor evening at River Court. There's an artisan cheese and wine pairing at Reeve Gauche. There's lots and lots of different things to to choose from. And then on Saturday and Sunday they have the big market in um, the Parade Plaza. And I think I counted, they have about 10 or 11 cookery demonstrations going on every day from about uh, noon to about four in the afternoon. So there'll always be something happening there. And they're blessed with their two Michelin star restaurants, the one yeah. in Mount Juliet and, Mount Juliet and uh, Campania. Campania. Absolutely. And I mean, Kilkenny's such a lovely walking city. Everything is like there's a great buzz around the city. Um, whenever the food festival's on, because it's all up around the castle. And uh, they're actually, um, I think they're using some of the park this year. They have a spud and hurl race in the uh, in the Kilkenny Castle Park. So, I mean, where else from Kilkenny would you be hurling spuds? Um, and then they also have a couple of nice, like, kind of, uh, they're calling them banter, banter on food. They're like kind of talking sessions about One's writing about food and then the other one's like, what kind of things will be eating this time next year? Do you know the way food trends are always changing? I particularly like this one. For anybody who's ever worked in the industry, I spent 20 years in hotels. This one is war stories from the kitchen. So I, I think that could be uh, a very entertaining one. It certainly sounds it. Yeah, yeah. You could definitely hear some stories there. So that's a lovely one up in Kilkenny. And then in Virginia, we have the Pumpkin Festival. Um, and this is lovely. They do a big street carnival there now, and they have like all these lighted pumpkins, and they do a big uh, parade through the town, and they have kids' fancy dress competitions, and there's competitions for the heaviest pumpkin, and they have food and craft fairs. They do a firework display um, as one of the evenings, and then they have a fancy dress party in the Pumpkin Marquee. So it's all, it's all very, anything pumpkin that's happening is going on in Cavan, I think, that weekend. I have and a three-year-old now that would love that because oh she wants to be God. a pumpkin this October oh for gosh, Halloween. Oh, cute. <laughs> well, there you go. Now you know you have, to, you have to go up to Cavan and you'll get the, the best of all things pumpkin. And then down in, um, in the Burren, I don't know, are you familiar with the Burren Winterage Festival? I, it's not one that I can honestly say I've come across. Yeah, it's actually quite new. I think, was it last year or was the first year? I might be mistaken. Well, if it wasn't the first year, it might have been the second year, but it is still quite new. And what they've done is they've really taken um, like, like things that, they, that are part of their day-to-day life, and it's really about celebrating their farming heritage. So these are things that are done every year. And what they do is wintering is all about like kind of at the end of the summer that the, the farmers in the burn will herd their cattle onto the winterage pastures in the limestone uplands where they spend the winter grazing up there. 
and it's a very kind of ancient tradition and what has been done like they do it in other places like the Alps but in the Alps they can attend they move it from the higher land to the lower land obviously for the temperature but what they find with the burn is with because the, the limestone um, retains the heat so the warmth of that limestone through the winter actually makes it really um, nice and then the cows all graze on the grass which is also very good ecologically because then it's the time of year where most of the flowers are dormant, so they're eating away all the grass, so then it means that they, they kind of have free rain whenever they come up to bloom again the following in spring. So it's a really nice kind of tradition that they've always done, and now you can kind of follow the, the, the cattle herd as they take them up to the pastures, and they're let graze up there for the winter, and then in Liston Varna then there's the Burren Food Fair, um, and that's in the town hall and the pavilion there. And again, there'll be lots going on there and you certainly won't be, be short of nice things to eat and see and do. So that's a lovely weekend in the burn. I, I think it's a really nice way of taking something that's very unique to your region and making it an event that other people can come and enjoy. So that, that to me would be a, a must-see this year, I think. It sounds very interesting. Mm. So I will definitely take a note of that one. Yeah, yeah, no, I think. And it's nice that it's such a, an ancient tradition, really. Um, we think we're very smart sometimes now, but I think sometimes whenever we look back, like these, these traditions all formed for reasons, um, and it's nice that they still maintain them. Well, Helen, thanks so much. The details are all up there on discoverireland.ie forward slash food. That's it. And we look forward to talking to you again when you'll have all the news for November. Okay, great. Thanks, Sharon. Thank you. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Thanks again to Helen McDaid. And Helen, of course, will be back at the end of October with a roundup about what's happening in November. A reminder that details of many of the events that she talks about can be found on discoverireland.ie forward slash food. That brings us to the end of tonight's second helping show. A special thanks to you for tuning in and don't forget that the podcast is on soundcloud.com forward slash food and drink show. Keep in touch by emailing me or tweeting me. Details coming up. Next week I'll have an all brand new show for you including reviews of two of Limerick's newest restaurants. Rachel Keeley will be here to do those. Until then, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!